Welcome to the Nintendo Watcher Podcast. I'm Justin, joined as always by Matthew. How's it going, man? Hey, Justin. Long time no see. Yeah, yeah. It's been a little while. Um, today, we're going to dive into our thoughts on uh, Triangle Strategy. We both recently um, beat that game. And um, we also want to talk a little bit about Team Asano and what they're doing over there at Square and how Triangle Strategy fits in with some of the other work that they've already done and maybe get into what we, we hope to see from them. Um, Matthew, let's let's start as broad as we can here. Um, you've completed tri- Triangle Strategy a little um, more recently than I have. Yep. What did you think? What were your overall impressions? So um, I thought it was a pretty, you know, fantastic take on the uh, you know tactics rpg um, that square enix you know has a, a long history with from tactics ogre to final fantasy tactics and and uh, you know their other um spin-offs and and uh, smaller franchises um you know we haven't really seen a lot of tactics rpgs from them in recent years so it's been pretty cool that they uh, you know put out one of these games um, in the era of the the sort of action RPG, right? Um, talked a little bit about this before the show, you know. Um, these kinds of games don't come around very often anymore. Um, so it was really cool, you know, for me, someone who grew up with, you know, the Tactics Ogre games and um, Final Fantasy Tactics was a, you know, a favorite of mine on the PS1. Um, really cool to, to kind of dive into a take on that, um, you know. And... Uh, as someone who's a big fan of, you know, we'll get into this, I'm sure, as a fan of the visual novel as well, um, there's a lot that I liked about this from a story perspective as well as a gameplay perspective. Um, you know, uh, I think I clocked something around the neighborhood of 45 or so hours to completion. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, what about you? You finished it, I think, what, a week before me or so? So you're a little bit of distance from it but i, I know uh, you know based off of your recommendation um, i picked it up sooner than i maybe had anticipated because it sounded like you were pretty high on it did that did that uh, high maintain through the end you know it didn't unfortunately the first i think my playthrough was like 43 hours or so um and the first i don't know 12 to 15 hours man i was thinking this is the one of the greatest rpgs i've ever played I just thought that the story was so tight and the decisions that you had to make were really compelling. Um, but then something happened towards the end where it, I don't know if they were like rushing things, but some of the, some of the way that the characters, um, uh, uh, you know, some of the things that the characters asked you to do and some of the characters motivations just kind of felt out of place and like they were moving a little too quickly for me. And we can get into the details later. Um, So the the story for me started to fall apart after like the the midpoint. Um, But from a gameplay perspective, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought that the, the the combat was really tight. It was fun. It was challenging. And and some, some battles, especially towards the end were pretty challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that like the, like 80% of the battles were a really good mix of um, challenge without feeling too grindy. 
Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that was, you know, for me, um, kind of a standout for the game was the way they took, you know, really complicated class systems from from other tactics RPGs like this. And they, they kind of, I, I wouldn't say dumbed them down, but they, they streamlined them quite a bit. Um, you know, instead of giving you the option to, you know, mix and match your characters and, and you know, change their classes on a whim, um, each character has kind of a really specific role in combat. And the synergy that that builds, you know, the way in which certain combinations of characters, um, you know, work really well with each other, um, I thought made for more tactical decisions in party makeup and how you approached each, uh, you know, each new battle, depending on, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of the, the map or the um, composition of enemy units, you know, um, unlike a game like Final Fantasy Tactics, for example, where you could build some pretty broken um, party compositions, that wasn't really the case here. So there was a lot more depth, I think, as a result of kind of streamlining each character to be, you know, a specific role in the the party. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to talk about um, favorite battles, and I know you want to talk about party. So why don't we jump straight into the, your party? Who who were your go tos for throughout most of the game? Um, what did you like about them? Why did you pick them? Yeah. So um, before we get to that particular answer, just out of curiosity, um, so there's 30 characters in this game. It's impossible to get all 30 on a single playthrough. Um, many of them you'll never encounter depending on story decisions or um, even dialogue choices, right? Some of them mm -hmm. are locked behind um, an invisible uh, metric that you don't get to see until New Game Plus. So the game is really designed around like multiple run-throughs, uh, experiencing the different routes. Um, and as a result, I'm just curious, how many characters did you finish the game with? Do you know? Uh, do you have that uh, information? Are you aware? Yeah, yeah. I, I had 20 characters at the end. Okay. So I ended up with 21. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, um, you know I don't want to spoil some of them, um, just in case, you know, people haven't, uh, you know, I'm assuming my my one extra at, at the very least is someone that you didn't get because they're only uh, you can only grab them on the the game's supposed golden route which is kind of um not meant for first playthroughs which is something i maybe wish i had known ahead of time um but uh other than that i'm, I'm curious to see what characters unlocked that that we had and didn't have and so for me um as much as I, you know, talked up the um, variety and the, you know, the way in which you could really mix and match uh, your characters, I really found myself gravitating towards the core, um, you know, story characters, the, the you know, uh, Sarah Noah, Benedict, Frederica, um, all these characters that you get very early in the campaign. Um, I think uh, of those characters, the only one that I tended to... To drop from my party was the um, this kind of tank character, um, Eridor. Yeah, who, whose kind of entire role in the game is to you know be a sponge for uh, you know uh, damage to redirect and taunt enemies away from you know your squishier casters and stuff. Um, but I did get a, a a kick out of the um, 
the casters, the magic uh, users in this game. Um, and so I pretty much, whenever I had the option, slotted in um, the the casters as, as many of them as I could fit in a single you know map. Um, you know, uh, Izana the shamaness, um, Narv the sage, and um, who was the other one? And then Frederica herself, right? So I, I typically had all three of those running in a given encounter. Um, I almost never used the item-based characters, which, mm-hmm. you know, um, a lot of the characters in this game, their whole kind of thing is making your items uh, more effective, being able to use combat items or healing items as a kind of alternative to traditional, uh, you know, spells, which... The fact that, you know, combat turns play out with, um, you know, talent points, right? You can use a certain number of points per uh, character. They regenerate one per turn. Uh, but you can kind of bypass that with items, which don't cost any. Um, and so there were some characters that, you know, could could manipulate the field a little bit better with items and stuff. But I found it to be too clunky and um, especially on a first run, just too cost prohibitive to play those characters. And so I largely left them uh, to the sideline. Yeah, yeah. And just on that point, before you move forward, I thought that the the economy in this game was a little broken too. Like it is hard to make money in this game. I didn't want yeah. to just go around throwing away my wep- or my items, you know? I'd rather use magic and wait for it to replenish. Yeah, I think that was one of the, you know, one of the reasons why I really stuck with, um, you know, the the kind of core seven characters that you get and then just a few, you know, uh, then the, you know, the additional casters and, and an extra healer is that once I started, you know, upgrading weapons and stuff and doing, you know, um, class promotions, I realized, you know, you they're very stingy with those components. Um, yeah. You can't really try out much on your first run um, which again you know i think if i had a criticism for the the game if i had you know one thing that really kind of irked me is the fact that yeah it does feel like they really want you playing multiple run throughs of this game and kind of penalize you um for trying to do you know the true ending in the first run um through you know hamstringing which characters you get you know minimizing the upgrade items and and making it so uh, aside from pretty heavy grinding um money was also you know a a constant struggle yeah I, i like the mental battles at the encampment um you know sometimes when i felt like okay the story just is going on and on and on i just i don't want to pay attention to it anymore i'd like to battle i would go do a mock battle and i mean some of the rewards at least initially seemed pretty good but yeah you know the the more you play and the higher the mock battles get level wise like i didn't feel like i was really getting anything for doing them other than experience points yeah yeah which you know is something i think we should touch on a little bit because one thing that this game does that's interesting is um you know, it doesn't really convey this to you other than through, you know, um, the obvious you're almost always a level or two below the next story battle, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it tells you, hey, you should be doing these mental mock battles. Um, but if you don't want to, one of the nice things it does is if you lose a battle, you could restart it with all the experience and uh, upgrades that you achieved during the previous attempt. Yeah, and you keep your items. 
that you yeah. used. That was awesome. Yeah, so if you want to brute force it, you know, you can just keep leveling on the, the current story map if you like that particular battle. Um, you don't have to touch the, the mental, you know, map, uh, the mental mock battles. Though, um, what were your thoughts on those? Because you, you mentioned, you know, um, not to, I guess, move us forward too much, but um, did you... Did you like the kind of win condition variety there compared to the the more you know just kill everything approach of the the story missions? Was that something that you you found pretty enjoyable? Yeah, I thought I thought it broke up the the play a little bit. Like you know, in in some situations you can't let um, any enemies get up to a certain block. Like you're trying to to block them from mm-hmm. escaping, um, and that you know makes you think about how to use especially. Your, your magic users, how to use magic users to yeah. like throw up an ice wall to get in their way or um, burn the ground so they have to walk through fire to get where they're trying to go. I appreciated those, um, like I said, mainly because they just broke up the playthrough. And in some in those situations towards the end where I felt like I needed to grind to level up characters, especially new characters that just got mm-hmm. added towards the end that... yeah. <laughs> You know, like they don't give you time to really appreciate them because the story's moving so quickly. But when I need to level them up, I like the mental mock battles with different win conditions. You know, it felt like it was an opportunity to use some of the characters in different ways, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but still, you know, get the get the grind in. Yeah. If anything, I wish the I wish the main game had done more with um, variable win conditions. Um, it was pretty static, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a little disappointing that, you know, pretty much every map came down to... There was like one or two, you know, get to this point, um, you know, escape this, recover this location. Kill the um, generals. Yeah, but most of it, yeah, most of it was either kill everybody or kill the general. Um, and aside from that, there wasn't much interesting um, in the story as far as win conditions, you know. Again the you know turn to turn gameplay is a lot of fun um, and i think a lot deeper than it maybe appears on the surface with every character maxing out at something like six moves i think it is yeah um but there's a lot of variety like i said with that build turn and i wish the game was maybe a little freer with upgrades and and items on your first run so that you could experiment more with those characters yeah, I, you know, I really loved, um, you know, we, you talked about liking to use the mer- magic characters throughout your playthrough, and I did too. I, I liked using the magic characters. I liked picking up the archers. Like Archibald is probably my favorite character. Did you get him, the old archer? Uh, really late. I didn't get hmm. the, the requirement for him, I guess, until way after uh, I think a lot of other people did. Um, I, I ended up getting him, yeah, down, down the road a bit, but I think... Um, one of his requirements is um, high morality. Um, and you are not a moral player. I did, yeah, I did not. You know, <laughs> most of the characters with high morality never came through my um, my my route. I got you know the the liberty and the utility characters mostly, I believe. Yeah, he he was a great character. He could um, I can't remember what the name of his attack is, but he could actually inescapable arrow. That's what it was. He can hit a character halfway across the map even if they're um behind cover like it's just a great great attack yeah especially for those interesting win conditions when you know you have to kill a certain person or um like the general for example but uh yeah it's um 
it's interesting the way that they structured the game um, so that you know you're only going to get these characters if you have these certain conditions met and you've answered the questions in in this certain way and you've taken this particular path. Um, which brings me to another point that I wanted to ask you about. What did you think about the whole democratic, um, like voting on what you should do for the me? The scales of conviction. The scales of conviction. Yeah. So I'm a little torn on it. Um, and I think it comes to what you were talking about at the beginning about the kind of the way you lost steam as character motivations maybe seem to make a little bit less sense. Um, you know, felt maybe decisions were a little rushed at times. Um, I feel like the game, it, it begins with those, those scenes feeling, you know, really meaningful, even though in the, you know, the first handful of decisions you make, um, they always just come back together really quick, right? You might have one fight that's a little bit different. You recruit one slightly different character, um, face a different general or whatever it might be, a different map. Um, but then they come back together and, and the choices all felt kind of meaningful and, and weighted pretty well. And then as you get towards the climax of the game, I found that um, characters whose motivations I thought I understood and who you know seemed to be um, of a particular, you know, uh, you know, persuasion. Yeah, they just kind of um, felt like the game realized, oh, if we're going to branch this into, you know, three possible, <laughs> really four endings, um, we need to really cut the cord here between some of these characters and just yeah. say, um, forget everything that you, you know, built up to uh to this point um you know you've got to make some choices and you know i understand that the goal of those were these are not supposed to be easy choices and in in that respect i think they did a good job um i just felt that some of them didn't feel in line with um other votes and other choices characters made um and i'm primarily talking late game decisions um and it's a shame because, like I said, I think all of that is built into this idea that they want you to experience the game multiple times. They don't want your first run to be wholly satisfying. Um, because we we talked a little bit about this. You went for one of, if I recall correctly, just one of the, the three core endings, correct? Where you kind of, there's a decision late game where you have to side with one of three characters. You went that route. Yeah, yeah. I didn't look at any walkthroughs or know of um, any other endings. I just kind of went with what my gut yeah. said. And yeah, I ended with one of the, the main three endings. Yeah, and that's interesting because there's so many decisions in the game that if you're just going with your gut, all right, I think, you know, I, I did myself a little bit of a disservice by, you know, I had heard rumor that there was a true end, right? And if I hear that, that's my goal, right? I want <laughs> you got to go for it. Yeah, I don't. I don't like to replay games very often. There's too many games coming out. There's too much, you know, that, that, that I want to play. I don't have the time to do another, even if it's half the time, I don't have another 25 hours in me um, to get a second ending, right? And so I looked up, you know, the, the golden route, and there's a few options in there that just feel like, why would you make that decision for your character based off of 
you know, the characters it forces you to interact with and the sides it makes you take. There's a few choices in that golden route that just don't, they don't feel justified. I feel like most players wouldn't choose them. Hmm. And yet if you don't choose them, you get locked out of the, the true ending, the fourth ending, um, which, you know, is meant to, and I think as an ending is way more narratively satisfying, um, redeems some characters that I think would have, um, you know, been really disappointing to players in, in the other three endings, um, and kind of writes a lot of the narrative wrongs that those three endings uh, kind of head towards, in my opinion. Um, maybe maybe at this me. point, we should we should say, all right, uh, so far, no spoilers. Uh, this next, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes of the conversation, we're going to get into details yeah, about what happens towards the end. Why don't we take a short break, come back, and we'll talk spoilers. Okay, and now we're talking triangle strategy spoilers. So, Matthew, let's yes. let's continue on with the conversation. So, towards the end of the game, um, you're making decisions that feel really out of place for yes. your character. And just to, to um, close the loop on what I was going to say about the scales of conviction earlier, and I think it's going to get into this next conversation we're going to have, I felt like in some situations I really didn't have a choice about what I wanted to do. You know, like the, the persuasion yeah. stuff that, that you have to talk to people and get them on your side or, you know, whatever. Um, but you don't actually yourself get a vote as Sarah Noah. And that always right. felt weird to me, especially towards the end when you're choosing between um, Roland, Frederica, and Benedict. Yeah, so, right, you know, the whole game, you've been sort of torn between three nations, right? You've got Glenbrook, uh, you know, Roland being the, the figure that is most associated with that nation, right? Uh, his whole family is, you know, murdered early on in the game, and he goes into exile, essentially, um, into hiding, right? Before kind of returning to his tri triumphant, you know, return of the king situation. Cool, fine. Loved his story up until that point, right? Yeah, me too hated him towards the end of the game when he inexplicably decides that he's going to you know, uh, align himself with the holy state of Hyzant, um, which has not been at all something uh, that was previewed, I, I felt, um, or justified, at least not in the route that I was taking. It felt completely out of left field. No, the uh -huh. only reason for that was revenge on... Um, uh, uh, Asphoros. Yeah, which, again, fine, but there were other options for that, and it just felt really ham-fisted. Yeah, not you nearly have, enough set up for that. Yeah, Right, and similarly, you have Roland, who has been your your sort of, you know, right-hand, or Benedict. Or Benedict, yeah. Yeah, who's been your right-hand man, your key advisor through all of the game. He's been really the voice of reason throughout most of these uh, scales of conviction decisions. Um, I found more often than not siding with him up until late game, when all mm -hmm. of a sudden he decides to throw in with S. Frost um, and to basically abandon 
the Roselle, right? Uh, Frederica's people who are slaves to Hyzant, um, you know, essentially a, a slave class, um, and kind of just decides, hey, you know, who cares, right? We need to protect our house and only our house, right? No interest in anything other than reputation. Right, is yeah. kind of what it comes down to. And at one point, so I, I, I got Frederica's ending. And, and yeah. um, at one point, I think right around the time that I was trying to convince him, or maybe it was right before the, the final um, decision, but I was talking to Benedict about something, and he said something to the effect of, this arranged marriage? You're going to throw this away for an arranged marriage? And I was like, what a weird thing for this character to say, you know, at this point, this person, like you said, it's been, you know, the, the, the counsel for, uh, Sarah Noah throughout the entire game, voice of reason, very down to earth. Um, like I thought just like a really well-rounded character and then suddenly for the, the switch to flip so, uh, wildly was yeah. really unusual. Yeah. And it felt like the only character who remained true to their, you know, their personality for the whole game was of those three it was Frederica. And yet the problem there is she is not really the most well-developed character throughout the game. She's got, you know, I, I think that her arc is really interesting and, you know, the, the side story for, you know, her people and, you know, her desire to, you know, um, basically free them from slavery is all very compelling and very interesting. But her personally as a character feels like, um, she's just kind of a funnel for this narrative and she doesn't have much personality of her own. Um, but still her arc seems like the only one that is at all justified uh, yeah. in that final decision. Um, and if you choose one of these three endings, right, it locks you into a series of battles that heads towards one of the three core endings. Uh, you lose at least one of the the three uh, characters for you know choosing a different character, um, and the justification there just didn't feel realized in most cases. Um, I mean, the problem is this was kind of you know throughout much of the game. This was my issue with the skills conviction. Like you like you said, I think again, it's designed that you are just supposed to go with the flow first time through, which is generally fine, right? I mean, you can fail to convince, uh, you know, four of seven people to the choice that you think is best and you're forced into another path, right? Yeah, at first, I, I didn't really seems... know what I was doing, like for that first um, yeah. response. Like, I was like, what am I supposed to do? I, I've already agreed with this person. Am I still supposed to talk to them? You know, I, I didn't think that right. part was clear initially. Yeah, you, what is it? You're, you basically, you, you see in most votes it's three four three against with one neutral and your yeah. job is to convince four people to go at least four people to go with the choice that you want you do this through a dialogue tree that some of them are unlocked through exploration sections um, where you kind of walk around a map and gather intel um, and that's not always the answer that you need the stuff that you uncover but sometimes it is and so you have to have one built up enough of the corresponding uh, hidden value that that character responds to, right? So some characters mm -hmm. respond to unity, others respond to morale, right? And so forth. And, and if you don't have a high enough value, some characters just become impossible to convince. So you could be going through the game 
um, building up your choices and lock yourself out of convincing enough people because the particular choice you want is too difficult and you haven't enough stat in the, the skill you need to make them, you know, to make someone agree with you. Um, in fact, so I want to talk about one decision, which I think is the one where most people would just straight up miss out on the golden route. Because I want to talk about the golden route and why I think it's such a bummer. It's so obtuse and requires for most people a, a second playthrough. Um, and that's, there's a decision about midway, maybe a, a little over a third of the way through the game, where you are asked to smuggle salt. Oh, yeah. From... For Hyzant to uh, S Frost, right? Did you do that? Did you smuggle the salt? No, I did not smuggle the salt. So you couldn't get the golden route, right? That's that choice makes no sense. You've been told the person that is asking you to smuggle is using you. You've been asked by um, Xarm, one of the you know the leaders of Hyzant, to help expose his crimes. Yeah, the Holy and, Seven, right? They're both uh, members of the Holy Seven. Yep. And and you are then told to to either smuggle or expose his crimes, right? And so why would you smuggle? Point, <laughs> why? Yeah, why why would you smuggle? Why? There's no reason. The whole game has been telling you up to this point you should you should turn in, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember his name. Um, you should turn in the 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 guy who's smuggling salt, um, and uh, you know it'll be the best thing for both you your you know your domain and uh for Hyzant. it's all around a good choice for everybody at this point you don't know about you know the extent of the terrible things that Hyzant's doing so it seems like the best choice is to expose this guy um because esfrost has been your main antagonist up until now and that seems to be the logical decision and yet if you choose that route it locks you out of the golden route you can't continue and not only that in order to get that decision i had to reload my game six times <laughs> Um, I had to answer two questions in the, I had to answer, so every, every exploration mission gives you like two people to talk to that let you make a morale, liberty, or unity choice, right? You don't know which choice corresponds to what on your first playthrough. That's only revealed in New Game Plus. And it turned out that in order to convince even one of the four people that I needed to convince... I had to answer those two responses in the exact for the exact same uh, stat so that I could convince the one person that responded to that stat well. So I was like a handful <laughs> of points away from successfully convincing them. And without save scumming and, you know, doing that, there's no way I would have gotten that on the first playthrough, right? So for most players, they're just going to miss out on the golden route. If you play blind... It, almost guaranteed you're going to miss it, I think. I don't think some of the choices make sense. Um, and and so, like, to me, the fact that that is the ending that has the most interesting battles. I've looked up, you know, the other routes and the, the final uh, battles. They're not as enjoyable. They're not as interesting. Um, Dude, my last battle sucked. It was awful. Which So you with the, the Frederica route, who's the final antagonist in that route? It's the uh, the leader of um, Hyzant. Um, I can't remember his name right now. Door. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And so he's up on a hill. He has several archers. You're down on a bridge below. 
So he's got the high ground. Um, he also has people on horseback um, coming around the other side of the bridge. So he, he's doing the pincer move on you. And your objective is to get four Rosellians to the other side of the bridge. So you have to split oh, wow. your infantry and then um, like save these Roselle and they won't move. Like you don't control them. You just have to wait for them to move. And you have to clear everything out of their way. And oh, dude, it was. I spent so much time on that one battle just trying to get the Roselle to move. Yeah. So, so you didn't, um, you never figured out who or what the Hierophant was, did you? No. Yeah. So, you know, this major question mark throughout the entire game, completely untouched on in the other endings. Um, in the golden route, that's your final battle. You, you battle the Hierophant. Um, and you, what, you what is it? I, I have to know. Oh. It's a puppet that uh, Idor has been controlling the whole time, um, which it, it's actually kind of interesting, right? Because obviously, you know, the, clearly their whole thing is, you know, they're they're a sham, you know, religion with a you know a puppet government that is being controlled by this, you know, this saintly seven. Um, so it's fitting, right? It works. Um, he's really the final boss. Like he's, uh, you fight a. a, a blown up version of him he like grows in size and power and uh you he's actually your final objective just take him out um while fighting off a bunch of these uh creepy ass dolls um that, that keep respawning and attacking you um and it forces you to um he's got an, a move that instantly kills anyone who has four uh tp stacked so you have to balance your uh you know using your skills and holding on you know holding back and, and all this stuff with the turn order so it does some really cool things with like turn order and movement and placement and stuff like that that uh, a lot of the other fights just don't force you to think about um but there's a series of battles you know when you make the split right um in the main game it's like i think two more major battles um or three more major battles um the golden route splits your party into three parties. So you actually control Benedict, Frederica, and Roland on different fronts. So you attack Isfrost, recover, you know, defend Glenbrook, and go after Hyzant all at the same time. Um, but that means you have to use all of the characters that you've recruited up to this point. And if, like me, you've only recruited 21 of the 30 characters because you're trying to do this on your first route, you have three battles in which, at best, if you want to split it evenly, you've got seven characters on the field against, <laughs> on average, 20-plus units. And what, you could probably put, like, 12 characters in or 10 characters in? You could, yeah, you could put 10. up to 10 characters, and you're capped out at seven. Actually, I think it's 12. You could do 12, and you're capped at seven. <laughs> So it makes for a very stressful series of battles on a first playthrough. It's clearly not meant to be done that way. I did it, uh, you know, essentially by setting my game to very easy and grinding out levels in the um, in the mental battles, the mind battles for a while to get everyone up to, to par. And then once they were high enough level, the fights were some of the best in the entire game the three fights where you split the party i think are the three most unique and interesting battles in the entire uh the entire game by yeah, far I was, uh, I was about even to more so than the than like the last two battles which are also really good fights against some really interesting villains yeah i wanted to ask you about that since we're in the spoiler territory now what was your favorite battle um so 
the for me, I think so. There's a battle in the Golden Root right before the last boss. Um, you fight the the Ministry of Medicine lady. I forget her name now. I'm I'm blanking on her name. Um, and it's it's in the the town um, like in Hyzant, right outside of the the chapel. Um, and it's just another you know kill everybody battle, but it's one where you you finally get all your party members back together after them all being split right for these three individual battles um and so you get to bring the whole party back after doing these three really grueling fights and it's this kind of moment where you can kind of just flex right all the characters that you've got um and go up against a really challenging composition of, of casters healers archers thieves right um and it's just one of the more uh tactical fights in that game with the the split and, and composition and stuff like that because you have the low ground right you're against a pretty overwhelming force um, of really diverse enemies right and so it creates a, a lot of really tactical decisions but beyond that there's one other golden root fight where you have the option to basically burn down um the wolf fort uh town the the, the main <laughs> town um by setting off traps right throughout the game you're you, you know they, they make mention that the, that the the castle has a secret right that it's been it's it's got a, a secret that the town has been keeping for emergencies and it turns out that the canals in the the village are can be filled with oil and lit on fire um and you can spring gates and trap enemies and so what you do is it becomes this game of like funneling um placing your units in a way that draws the largest number of enemies towards you in a particular pattern um and then once you've got you know four or five of them trapped in the the kill zone you fire off a, an arrow at the closest target and burn them all up in a, in a one-hit kill yeah it's funny you mentioned those two because those were my two favorite battles yeah um i i love that um battle of winterfell um burned down the entire village like that that was, was that just still in was that so that was still in your route yeah it was in my route and it was pretty early too it was like mid game maybe interesting interesting yeah because i didn't get to that one that wasn't for me until you know uh, right when you make the split right to go the three routes that's when it shows up oh no mine was was much much earlier than that so um, i wonder i wonder if each of those three routes because again the golden route has three battles where every other one has a single battle i wonder if it's the same battles you just do all of them hmm yeah it could be so now that you've you've uh, gone through and you've, you've done the golden route um are you interested in going back and, and replaying the new game plus at all I don't think so. Um, and, you know, on, on the one hand, maybe that's because I went Golden Root the first time. I'm not really interested in seeing the the uh, three bad endings, if you will. Mm -hmm. right? um, but on the other hand, I enjoy the combat so much that there's absolutely a possibility of me going back through and, and checking out some of the other uh, decisions I made. Cause, you know, at the beginning, I went to, you get a choice to go to Esfrost or Hyzant. Depending on which one you get, you get a different character to recruit. Um, Where did you go? I went to um, Esfrost, and I got the archer. Um, his name is Rudolf, um, who was a pretty useful unit throughout most of the game. So I went um, to Hyzant, and I got Coritan. Coritan? The, the ice mage? Yeah, the I never ice got mage. Never had him. Don't know what he does. Right, uh, Totally bypassed him. He, um, can, he can call up walls of ice 
Oh, that's pretty cool. As um as barriers. Um yeah, it's it's pretty cool, but he is so slow. Yeah. Like he every other character has gone twice before he goes. And oh, wow. it just drove me crazy the entire time because he's such a powerful character. Um from a defensive perspective, you know, like like making it hard for enemies to cover the terrain by making the, the ground icy and stuff. Um, but it was hard to use him. So I'm gonna run through the optional characters. I'm just curious to see which ones did you get the ones that you can you can recruit through the party chat okay um, so uh hosabara the yes. okay so you got the barkeep uh julio yes okay uh jens yes never used him but like for that one battle but yeah uh did you get narv got oh dude I, narv was He's on my the team character in the game i think he might be the most useful caster in the entire game yeah 100 percent. he he slays he's really good uh medina yes Lionel, yes. Izana, um, the shamaness. She's the other caster. She does oh, like. Oh yeah. Uh, she can call rain and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Got her. And then you got Archibald. Yep. So I'm guessing we pretty much got the same ones. These are the I'm gonna list the next characters. I feel, I don't think either of us got these characters. Groma. Nope. The old lady. She's a she's an old lady. It looks like uh, fighter. Uh, Flanagan. I did get Flanagan. You get Flanagan. Okay, so you got the he's the other kind of shield character. Yeah, he's a shield character like Irador, but he can fly, but he's not nearly as strong or um, as durable as Irador. I, I used him for like a battle or two, but yeah, yeah it wasn't worth. I, I I wish I had a different character to fill that slot. Yeah, I didn't get him. His morality was way too high, from what I understand. And then I think these next ones are pretty much impossible on the first route, which is um, decimal. Yeah, nope. it's a little barrel robot. Uh, Giovanna. No, nope. the geologist and then uh, Quahog. Nope. Which is and so these characters all require 1600 um, of a single conviction skill. Um, the next closest is 1050, right? So they wow. require significantly more to unlock. Um, did you get Piccoletta? I did. I, I think I used her once. Yeah, I think she's pretty. Um, and then, so there's a decision mid-game uh, where you you choose one of three locations, and this isn't the big three. This is a different one, I believe. Um, and you you either get Milo, the dancer, if you go back to Castle Woolfort. Did you get her? I didn't get her. Okay. So did you get Cordelia? No. So you can get Cordelia if you if you defend um, Glenbrook if you if you go to Glenbrook, um, and then you can also get Travis or Trish, which are the two bandits. Oh yeah, those. yeah, and I got Trish. Okay, um, so there's yeah in chapter eleven there or in chapter fifteen I think it is um, there's a choice you make where you can go to one of three locations, right? Um, it's kind of the precursor to the the final split. Um, you go to help one of three companions and depending on that choice you make you get one of uh, four different characters um did you get sir maxwell i didn't get sir maxwell i watched him die yeah he didn't die you can get him he comes back uh after chapter 15 if you've got enough in certain stats he returns and he's actually pretty good he's one of the better units um and then in the golden route um and only in that route you can get avlora um to join your party yeah it, it was I don't know. It's interesting, but it, some of those characters you would get so late. I just don't know. Like at that point, I kind of already had my rhythm going, and yeah. 
I don't know if I would have used them that much, but um, uh, she's not even very good, honestly. She, uh, you know, you get her in the golden route. She's supposed to be like the most powerful character in the game canonically. Um, she's kind of crap. She's not a very useful character. Dude, I think the the most powerful character this entire game. I'm gonna go on record. It's Anna. Anna. The spy. She can cover like oh, half the good. board. Attack twice. Mm-hmm. I used her a lot. Yeah, she never left my party if she was available. Um, though I think for me the and uh, you know the the best character for me, and I don't know because I didn't really use Archibald. I think he might have potential. Um, but for me, it was Huet. Yeah, I used Huet a lot the, too. Uh, the hawk uh, riding archer. Because this game really favors archers. They do a ton of damage. They can lock units in place. They can blind units. Um, and uh, Huet has the best movement um, in uh, of all the characters, I think. Even more than, than the... Um, horse riding characters the cavalry characters because she has the elevation um which i thought was really cool um yeah flanagan has pretty good movement too um he can actually move and then he has another move um it's, it's sort of like a trish's leap i don't know if you got trish or not but you can you can make the first move and then you attack with a second move but you can cover yeah. i don't know like 20 spaces or something with him he's just not very strong I think that's the, you know, and I think one of the things, because you said he's not quite as durable as Eridor, but the thing, the problem with Eridor is he can't move. He's so slow. Yeah, he's stuck wherever he started. Um, and it's it really sucks, because his whole thing is he's supposed to be the frontline tank taking all the hits, and yet you can never get him in position when you need him to. Um, I found that every time I'd bring him into a map, he just ended up being mostly useless. Um, and I ended up just dropping him for stronger casters and, and more archers. Is kind Because of, I found range to be really... Um, effective in this game you know yeah every single time i put Eridor in he always got um like three guys around him and he's tough when you're hitting him from the front but if he's if he's um you know got somebody stabbing him in the back plus somebody hitting him in the front and somebody hitting him on the sides he goes down pretty quick yeah that speaking of that mechanic that's one of the things that i really enjoyed about this game was you know the the flanking mechanic it really encourages you to think placement and play a little more defensively early on to kind of draw out uh, enemy positions and, and get them in you know in range to flank them so that you would get those extra hits from from characters being sort of uh, directly across from each other yeah you know a lot of tactical rpgs at least the ones that that i've played I always like run and gun, man. Like I'm, I'm super aggressive, um, you know, trying to pin enemies into a corner or a, a certain position. This game really prizes characters who uh, or players who just sit back and kind of wait for things to happen yeah. and see how the, the enemy, um, you know, unfolds its position on the map. I think I think this is one of those games that you have to play really deliberately right? and really, you know, like you said, you have to pace it well because the the maps are almost always um, in the enemy's favor. Um, you are almost always given the worst position. You always have fewer units. Um, the you know the damage that enemies do is significantly more than you on first playthrough because again, you can only upgrade so many people's weapons and classes and things like that, that, um, you know, you, if you're not the right level and you don't play carefully, you really get punished for it. Things go bad fast. Yeah, they really do. Um, but you know, I, 
all of that said, I, I think, you know, I, I really enjoyed my time with this game. And, uh, you know, even though I've got complaints about the stinginess and the way it kind of forces certain early game decisions that make it hard to experiment late game, um, I think that it's absolutely worth picking up and that, you know, anyone who's even remotely interested in tactical RPGs should give it a shot. And if you like narratives, it's got some, you know, problems of over, you know, over exposition at times. It can be a little bit too on the nose with some things, but I think in the places where it builds character relations, um, you know, the backstories, the the connections between uh, some of the core units are really well fleshed out, especially in the little side stories and character stories that you get throughout the game. Um, I felt connected to most of the units in this game in a way that you don't in these kinds of games often care much about the the you know the members uh, outside of like two or three people. Yeah, I agree. I think the exposition is not pace super well at the beginning. Like I remember when, when the game came out a few weeks ago and people were like, Oh my God, I just sat through, you know, two hours of people talking and that's a little bit of exaggeration, but not by much, you know, they have, they're trying to set up so much story initially. There's not much to do. And I kind of got bored with it too. At one point I was like, I I don't know if if this is going to be a game for me, but then you know, when when you start getting invested, like you said, in the characters and not even the characters that you're you're playing necessarily um, that are that are on your um, on your roster, but even the side characters that your your um, decisions throughout the game is going to have a huge impact on like the Roselle for me, um, because I followed Frederica's route, I think pretty closely throughout most of the game. I was constantly talking to Roselle about Roselle and I mean, that, that's a, a slave class of people who, um, like, by the end of the game, I felt compelled. Like, I didn't have a choice to go with Benedict or right. um, or Roland. I had to go Frederica and, and, and free them from Hyzant. Um, it really does. It's funny because I feel like it would be, I'd be curious to see the person that sides with either of the other two endings. Like, it feels like a, like very few people would go a different route in the of those three choices. Well, before we wrap, we should we should talk about the other two choices. Those are ones both of the ones that we didn't do. So with Benedict, and you may know more about this than I do. I've just looked at it briefly. Benedict wants you to become the uh, king of Glenbrook, which is your right. You are the rightful heir to the Glen uh, or to the kingdom of Glenbrook. We should probably talk about that a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's a. It's a late game reveal um, that out of you know, nowhere. Talking about things that aren't earned, right? Um, <laughs> you know, you find out late game that you are the secret child, you know, bastard child of the king, um, but that still makes you the rightful heir to the throne uh, over Roland. Um, nothing comes of it, I, I guess, unless you go that route. I don't know. I haven't looked far enough into it to know if if you 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 know depose Roland uh, in that particular ending or not. Yeah, but so, I'm I'm guessing that's the one where Roland disappears, so I wouldn't be surprised because I I'm pretty sure that Frederica would not go with you if you went with Roland and sided with Hyzant. So my guess is, is since you lose one member for each, right? Roland is the one who disappears in the Wolfert ending. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way it goes. Yeah, the other two endings are just I don't know. You you'd have to be 
a really strange person, I think, to get those on your first playthrough. It just they, they don't yeah. seem like natural choices. And I think that's you know probably the biggest flaw in the in the narrative of this game is that again, you do feel kind of compelled and funneled towards certain choices throughout the game, and um, unless you kind of go against your instinct, and that might just be me, but you know unless you go against your instinct, you kind of get locked into some really bad, crappy decisions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, before we close this conversation out, because I know we want to talk about Team Asano a little bit too um, and, and how this fits into their project with the Switch, but what did you think about the exploration sections? I really, really liked the, the um, you know, totally free movement of camera yeah. throughout those sections. Like that felt like a huge like step forward for these this 2D HD stuff. Yeah, I think one of the cool things about it was, you know, that kind of application in in a you know a kind of more traditional turn-based JRPG with towns and and world maps and things would be really cool to have that kind of free free movement camera and stuff. Um, you know, games have done that back since the you know, the PlayStation One days. You've been able to just kind of spin the camera, but they don't have it very often. Um, and what I liked about those sections though were the the world building because I think that one thing that this game um, maybe suffers a little bit from is that so much of the really interesting lore is um, in conversations with uh, you know um, citizens and uh, you know party members during these in-between moments where you're exploring the maps. Yeah, or books that you have to buy with money you don't have. Books that you buy or find that um, you know help you you know flesh out the narrative of the world in, in really interesting ways. Yeah. So much of that is hidden. You'll never see it unless you're actively looking for it. Um, yeah. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. All right. So um, let's, let's wrap this conversation up. So you said if, if people are a fan of, of tactical RPGs, they should definitely pick this one up. What, what about just RPG fans in general? Do you, do you think this is a game that's, um, open enough fun enough um deserving enough for just just people who aren't really into tactical rpgs to pick up i do you know so this is going to be our transition into talking about um you know what is i guess colloquially known as as team asano within square enix right a small uh section of i believe it's creative business unit two i think yeah i think um, you're right square enix has this whole weird uh you know internal you know, numbering and, and name cataloging system for their development teams. And this one is, um, you know, headed by Tomoya Asano, um, most well-known probably for uh, Final Fantasy IV Heroes of Light and the Bravely Default series, um, you know. So what I think is great about this game is that, you know, it feels like the the natural evolution of Bravely Default and Octopath Traveler, two other um, you know, Asano works. Um, I think they've only been going by Team Asano since Octopath Traveler. So yeah, I think, I think got, 2017. What, yeah, so you have Octopath Traveler, Various Day Life, which was a, a mobile iOS, I think, Apple Arcade game. Uh, pretty fun, actually. There's a, a an Octopath Traveler um, uh, mobile game that I believe is coming to the, the West soon. Uh, TBD, and then uh, Bravely Default 2 and, and this one, Triangle Strategy. And obviously, if you've played any of the Bravely series, you know that you know class-based, turn-based RPG combat is what they do really well. Octopath Traveler, a phenomenal example of that. But their games are 
divisive, I think. I think they are um, not for everyone. Um, they're for a particular subset of, you know, I think uh, late 80s, early 90s kids who grew up playing Super Nintendo and PlayStation 1 JRPGs with, you know, uh, all of the tropes that come with that. All of the, you know, turn-based combat and class-based systems that, you know, those eras were known for. Um, and for me, that you know, that's right up my alley. I love this game. I love Bravely Default, the, the whole series. Octopath Traveler, I still think, despite a lot of the criticisms it gets, is um, one of the best JRPGs in the last decade, um, easily. Uh, you know, from a gameplay perspective, I think that... Um, what's really cool about Team Asano is they try new things. Um, they try interesting things with their combat, um, you know, systems. Um, their games don't always look the best, though I think the 2D HD that they created for Octopath Traveler is, as we've seen, um, catching on and really a cool, cool system. Um, you know, so, if, you know, if you like their other games... Um, this does a lot of really traditional stuff just like the other ones do, but it has enough unique, interesting additions to the genre that I think it's worth checking out. And even if you're not a fan of tactical RPGs in general, maybe I wouldn't suggest if you know you just don't like them. Um, but if you're curious about them or you have a you know, passing interest in those or like you know, to check out, you know, if you like most JRPG narratives, um, this one's one of the better ones, I think, despite its, you know, um, exposition-related flaws and, and a few um, unearned, you know, character arcs. But uh, overall, I think it does some really good things, and I, I would recommend it to most players. Yeah, I want to I wanted to come back to something you said very early on in the conversation about, you know, if, if you like tactical RPGs, this is a game for you. If you like... Uh, um, uh, uh, novels um can't remember the name. visual novels. Visual, visual novels i was like graphic novels i was like no that's not right if you like visual novels this is a game for you and i think that's where i come down with this you know we talk about it like a tactical rpg and it is um from a combat perspective but the rest of it plays out like a visual novel um with some exploratory exploratory um elements like it is a tactical rpg but there's so much more here. I think it does a pretty good job of splitting its gameplay between these three different styles. Um, I'm not a huge tactical RPG fan. Uh, I, I don't hate it, but it's not like the first thing I pick up. But I really enjoyed this one. Um, the other thing, I, I don't love the the HD 2D. I mean, it's fine. I think it just looks a little oversaturated for me. Um, but it, it, you know it's fine. But the artwork that the uh, Triangle Strategy is so so good. The character portraits, the cover art, um, it's it reminds me a lot of what they were doing with um, Octopath Traveler. But I think it's even better. Yeah, they you know uh, they've done a lot of really um, you know really cool things with these you know these covers and this character artwork and stuff you know the 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 artists on these games are phenomenal i think the art direction is you know, despite even if you don't like the 2d hd um that kind of weird um you know i'm trying to what is the 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 camera filter kind of look that it's got to it with yeah the, 
the bokeh style, uh, you know, blurred backgrounds and stuff like that. Like, if you're not a big fan of that kind of stuff, I get it, right? It, it's totally fair. It's not the most, you know, uh, appealing for some people. But for me, I think it's the most interesting thing that uh, any development company has done with pixel art since the Super Nintendo. Um, and I appreciate it for that respect. Like, it, it adds depth to these pixel-based JRPGs that, you know, um, is a really nice compromise between, uh, you know, old-school, you know, SNES-style, uh, really flat JRPGs and, and the more open-world 3D games that, that we have today. Um, I think it's really cool, you know. Again, I, I you know, what are your thoughts on, on Team Asano in general? Do you like their games? Are you a fan of Octopath, a fan of the, the Bravely series? Yeah, I'm. I've got the same complaint about Octopath that everybody else does. You know, you, you've got eight different stories, and they really don't seem like they ever truly come together. It's kind of like you're just playing like eight short stories, which you know, it's it's like, fine. That's what I like. About it. I like that's what you like. Yeah, I like that it feels like none of the characters is like a traditional hero, right? They're yeah. just they're on their own little adventure. Right. And they're discovering things about themselves. And so, yeah, the other characters are there and it does feel weird to have all these other members. But like if you look at each arc as I'm just playing this character's story right now, um, I think it's really well done. Um, And I do think, again, it suffers from the same thing that Octopath and I think the Bravely series suffers from. They like to they like to hide true endings and you know, things that put nice narrative bows on their games behind really obtuse and uh, convoluted systems of, of unlocks and retries and stuff that just, that's maybe the one criticism I have is they, they've never delivered just a straightforward narrative that any player can get through on their first run through. Yeah. Yeah. And Octopath is not a game I want to play, you know, twice. It's just too much of an investment for me. And it's not that, you know, you don't technically have to play any of them twice to do it, but the, if you're not using a guide, you'd miss it every time. Yeah. Uh, there's there's always something, you know, I think that can lock you out of it if you're not careful. Yeah, but I really liked Octopath. Um, you know, I, we both love those those 90s and um, early 2000s RPGs, JRPGs. I never finished Bravely Default 2. I don't know. I think... I think something else came out around the same time. Maybe it was Animal Crossing or something. But some other huge game came out around the same time as that one. And I started playing it. I played like, I don't know, maybe 20 hours of it and really, really enjoyed it. But then my attention got um, spread out too thin. But I remember really, really liking it. And, you know, it surprised me at first when I realized that Bravely Default was built by the same team that was building Octopath and Triangle because that one... You know, the, the battle system is very different. Um, you've got a much more limited roster, like a very traditional Final Fantasy roster with your white mage, right. your black mage, uh, your thief, and your your um, knight, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think I remember those correctly. But it, that one feels like the most different game um, mm-hmm. of this trio. Yeah, the I mean, clearly the, the Bravely default combat system, you know, braving and defaulting came before octopus boost and break system but they're you know they're they're hewn from the same cloth really um so in that respect i think there's a lot of similarities but you're right that they don't feel 
you know, from an art direction perspective, uh, from a narrative perspective, they feel very different. Um, like they're trying to do very different things. But what I like about this team is that they're they're being allowed to do things that most AAA publishers have moved away from. Now these aren't you know AAA you know high budget games, but they're under the Square Enix umbrella, and they're maybe the best things outside of you know. Uh, you know, Final Fantasy 14 and, and maybe the upcoming, you know, 16 and stuff that, that Square Enix is doing right now, in my opinion. You know, the other small JRPG unit that's trying to, you know, pay homage to these old 90s RPGs, Tokyo uh, Idea Factory, is that what they're called? Tokyo RPG Factory mm-hmm. or something like that? Um, make sure I get this. I think it's Tokyo RPG Factory. Um, you know, the makers of I Am Setsuna, Lost Sphere, uh, Oninaki, um, all pretty middling games but you know at least you know we have these two companies that are you know getting to do some some old callbacks to to things i just think that team asano is the more successful of the two and personally i'm very excited to see what they do next be it uh, you know more bravely games i think we actually had a tease that the next bravely game is in development um a few months back maybe a little longer at this point but um, and rumors are that there is another octopath in in the planning stages at least yeah and i'm i really like this team too i I love that they can do these these little games and you know they have the blessing from square enix you know the company that's making you know the avengers game you know it's just like two totally different kinds of games um and and a lot of lately too it's you know it's good to see that something like this uh, can can come out of a studio that's had a lot of bombs lately yeah yeah absolutely um i i am wondering now i think about the future and some of some of the other games sequels that you were talking about um are are they the studio that's or the the team that's behind uh live alive live alive i don't know i i don't think so i don't know that they're involved in i'm sure there's some some members of it that are that are involved i'm sure that the, they had some help there since they're you know the studio that created this you know yeah. 2dh style um i wouldn't be surprised but yeah. um i'm not sure yeah i was wondering about that and about dragon quest 3 the the remake right the, you know using right. the unreal engine and this this hd 2d um art style There's nothing on there. you know all i have to go off is the wikipedia there's nothing there that says that they're working on those games but i wouldn't be surprised if we find out that they were the ones kind of behind it yeah yeah or at least helping out on it no i'm 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 really happy with these three games i i love the the nostalgic hit it gives me i don't know if they're even triangle strategy i don't know if it's doing anything so new but um you know it's it's really good stuff for a certain generation of gamers yeah all right so i think we need to end it there um let's take a quick break matthew and come back and do our game recommendations of the week sounds good Okay, Matthew, what have you been playing lately? 
So before we get to that, uh, real quick, I looked into it. It looks like Team Asano has been confirmed to be involved with uh, Live Alive. Uh, they have not been confirmed to be working on Dragon Quest Three, however. That's still unclear who's working on that, if it's the Dragon Quest team or Team Asano. Or if anyone uh, is working on it. We haven't heard anything about it in two years, right, yeah. a year. Um, so what am I playing right now? Um my recommendation is not something I'm currently playing, but it's something that I've got in the, the chamber. Um, and so this is more a recommendation of, of something that everybody who owns a 3DS should uh, make sure that they hop on in the next 10 days or so, which is the, um, the Sega sale that is currently going on on the uh, eShop. I recommend head over there to the Sega sale um, and grab yourself either... A, a, a Shin Megami Soul Hackers, a, um, I believe Shin Megami Tensei 4 is currently on sale for, these are all like under $10 at present. Um, you know, I, I believe uh, we've got, you know, the Soul Hackers sequel that was announced for later this year is, is coming out in a few months. So if you've never played the original, perfect time to grab that for $7.99 on the eShop. Um, if you like uh, dungeon RPGs, you know, standard uh, dungeon crawler RPGs. I cannot uh, send enough praise to the Etrian Odyssey series. Oh, yeah. Um, which is one of the best dungeon RPG series of all time. Very challenging games, a lot of fun. Um, the Untold remakes 4, 5, and Nexus are all on sale right now, all for under $10. Um, you're going to get 50 plus hours out of each of those games. Um, so 10 bucks for a 50 hour experience that you will have a fun time with. Um, if you like dungeon RPGs, you really can't go wrong. It's one of the best sales um, we've seen in a long time. And the fact that the 3DS eShop is going under soon means uh, get in there, grab those games before they're they're un, un, ungrabbable. Yeah, yeah, it's really sad about the 3DS. I mean, those games are going to be hard to play later, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's not like it's going to be easy even for an official emulator to emulate two screen inputs, you know? Right. And it's there's some of the best games on that system or in my opinion of the genre, so worth checking out. Worth checking out. I have two games um as my recommendation this week, but the funny thing is I haven't technically played either one of them. Nice. So a um, little bit of a, a cheating a little bit this week. So the first one is um, Chrono Cross. Yeah. The 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 HD remaster is um, coming out this week. And this is a game that I never actually finished in mm -hmm. 2001 or whenever it came out on the PS1. Um, it was it was too different from Chrono Trigger for me, and I, I just I wasn't into it at the time. I'm thinking now, especially with Radical Dreamers, um, the the visual novel uh, packaged with it, maybe I can get more into it. Maybe it'll it'll click with me more now that I'm older. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm I'm always nostalgic for for those you know ugly polygons, PlayStation One yeah. polygons. <laughs> Are you gonna pick that one up? I think it's a, a pretty good price too. Um, I my advice is go into it as its own thing. Don't think of it as a Chrono Trigger sequel. Um, I think that all of the elements that tied it to Chrono Trigger are the things that were the worst about it. Um, as a standalone game, I think it's one of the best from that period. Um, you know, it, it 
wastes no space, I think. It's one of those games where um, all of the towns, all of the dungeons, all of the world map you know, travel all feel very intentioned and well mapped out and plotted. Um, it's a great game. Great game. And there's a, there's a huge cast of characters that I'm really looking forward to. Um, yeah, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of, you know, kind of just uh, paper-thin characters, but um, still really enjoyable despite that, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you, you get on Play Asia, you can actually get a, a physical copy of it if, if that's what you're into. Nice. Um, so that that's my one. I've been really looking forward to that one since the announcement. I'm, I'm ready to spend a lot of time with it. The other one that kind of caught me by surprise, I'm interested to hear what you think about this, um, the the Lego Skywalker Sega. So I never really got into the the, the Lego uh, Star Wars games. Um, I've heard that the they're always very fun. Um, a, a lot of enjoyable stuff there. Uh, it's just I don't know that I am invested enough in the you know Lego Star Wars universe to to grab that. If I'm going to get a, a a cutesy um you know little action game uh, I'm I'm still waiting to pick up Kirby and the Forgotten Land. So that's the next one on my radar if I'm going that route. Oh yeah, I've still got to get that one too. But man, uh the the Lego Skywalker game it it looks so much fun and I I've never bought a Lego game ever. <laughs> um but the the textures look amazing and and it's got so many different um styles of play the the melee looks cool the over the shoulder shooting um flying through x-wings in the you know in space i it's like those dog fights on hoth look awesome but it's it's lego yeah i, I mean look it, like i said it, it's more that i just i'm not invested enough in the series or have the time right now to to play that with my backlog being you know as we've talked about too extensive uh to be buying uh, any any new games right now i'm still working through uh some of the games i committed to clearing out this this year so yeah how's earthbound going you know i'm gonna admit <laughs> I, I bounced off it for now um it's a little too dated in my opinion it, it drags at times in ways that i just find frustrating um there's some quality of life issues that you know are to be expected from a game of that age. Um, but I, I do plan when things die down a little bit to go back and get through that damn mole dungeon um, and hopefully back on to, to you know, uh, more uh, greener pastures. Well, let's let's end with this. Uh, speaking of your backlog and, and some of the games you, you want to get through, what's your what's your next game? What's, what's going to be the next thing you start up? So... I, I guess not necessarily the next thing, but I am finally getting around to the game that I said on our uh, end of the year podcast I would not be playing this year, uh, which is Ease 9 uh, Monstrum Nox. I said I wasn't going to play it. Um, after beating uh, Triangle Strategy, I was craving a, a you know kind of mindless action RPG. Uh, I booted it up, and I'm having a blast with it. So uh, we're going to knock that one off the backlog, I guess. A real curveball there. Wasn't expecting it, um, but I'm having a real good time with it. So uh, I'll have more to report next time we meet. Yeah, that one's really fun. All right, guys. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll be back next week.